1: This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sessingham. Gasparilla is the biggest, craziest event of the year in Tampa, pulling in hundreds of thousands of people to watch the parade, eat, drink, just have fun. And though people dressing up in costumes and invading the city may seem like silly fun, it's also played a seriously important part in Tampa's high society. This week on Florida Matters, a deep dive into the past and present of Gasparilla. Rodney Kite-Powell is a historian with the Tampa Bay History Center. Rodney, thanks for being here.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you.
1: So let's talk about the history of Gasparilla. When did it start and why did it start here in Tampa? What was it about Tampa that they wanted to have some big Mardi Gras-type celebration?
0: Well, the the origins of Gasparilla are actually a woman who was a society page editor for the Tampa Tribune, a woman named Louise Frances Dodge. And there was an annual May Day parade and festival here in Tampa, as there were around the country. And she wanted to liven it up a little bit, though, in 1904. And she didn't really know quite what she wanted to do, but she knew she wanted something extra. So as it happened, she was speaking to uh, a guy who stopped by the Tribune office, a man named George Hardy, who was a customs collector and customs inspector. And he had just returned from a trip to Charlotte Harbor where he'd heard about this legend of a mythical pirate named Jose Gaspar. And he was talking to to Louise about Jose Gaspar. And he was from, I hate to say, don't remember, but I don't remember if it was either Mobile or New, or New Orleans. Both Mardi Gras cities. Actually, Mardi Gras started in, in Mobile before it started in New Orleans. But I believe he was from New Orleans. And so he began to talk to her and she began to think and talk to him about well, how do we combine the elements of Mardi Gras, which are Catholic in origin, the idea of a Fat Tuesday leads to Lent and Ash Wednesday, and maybe not focus on the religious side of it so much and focus on the celebratory side of it. And how do we incorporate this pirate who may or may not have existed? And so they came up with the idea of, of creating a pirate crew made up of uh, socially prominent young men that were in Tampa. And they um, began kind of drafting these young men to start this social club called Ye Mystic Crew of Gasparilla. The the lead up is so fun to to the first Gasparilla because the newspaper editor, Edwin Lambright, uh, of course, was in on the whole thing. And so there were these letters to the editor about the impending invasion of Jose Gaspar and his men and when they had that May Day parade literally these guys came in from different points of the parade route on horseback and invaded the parade and they had a carriage with the king and queen of Gasparilla and it was a great success so they did it again the next year maybe one more year after that then they stopped and they kind of went back and forth and it didn't it wasn't consistent those first few years but what it did is it provided a new social outlet for Tampa's kind of middle and upper class. But it also they saw pretty early on that this could be a neat attraction and a neat uh, tourist draw to a city that didn't really have much of a tourist industry aside from the Tampa Bay Hotel and the fact that the railroad did come here. I mean, you could have a vacation here, but there was really no reason to. So they wanted to have this thing that could maybe draw people from outside of the, the city to come into Tampa for a couple days and have a have a party.
1: So were they coming in from boat at that time, or was it all on horseback at that time?
0: It was on horseback. The uh, first invasion by boat wasn't until 1911. And there are some great stories about the, how those invasions by boat did not go off as planned, um, including having a hard time finding a boat. The u crew did not own their own ship at that time, and so they had to find whatever boats were available, which... Having boats in the port was not hard because there we were lots and lots of boats around, but they had to be empty. Uh, they had to be either having just emptied their cargo or not taken on new cargo. Which, in a bustling port, that's harder to find. And so sometimes the ships they found really weren't in that a shape. And so they would run aground. Um, there actually is one example of where a ship wasn't totally empty of its cargo, and that cargo was was livestock, uh, particularly oh, no. pigs and chickens. <laughs> And a few pigs and chickens didn't make it all the way from from one end of the invasion to the other. Um, And so there are all kinds of problems they had with that aspect of it Mm -hmm. uh, until they were able to acquire their own ship. The current ship that is used, they've had since, I think, 1954.
1: And this was a way for Tampa's high society, as it was, to kind of show off. I'm sure it was exclusive to belong to some of these mystic crews. Um, oh, absolutely. The well, floats. there was like only it one. Is in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah,
0: yeah. that's the thing. With New Orleans, there are several crews, and there mm. are now. But until 1965, there was only one crew. It was the mystic crew of Gasparilla. Uh, the crew of Venus was the second crew to be created, and then after that, uh, the Knights of St. Iago and the Rough Riders. And, and then after 1991, there was this proliferation of crews. And so now there are dozens and dozens and dozens of crews. It's
1: become more democratic. It has.
0: And it's it's opened up the parade for more participation among adults. But it has it's changed the parade because now there's far more floats. Obviously, it's very, very bead-oriented. And that's something that started in the 80s, courtesy of Mardi Gras. But you lose, and and not just because of the number of crews, but because of marketing dollars and things like that that are changed, you don't have business floats like you used to. Um, You don't have nearly as many marching bands as you used to. And so it's changed the complexion of the parade a little bit. But as you say, it's definitely democratized the parade. The process. In a, in, a, in a big way to allow a lot more participation. Um, and, and
1: Tampa had aspirations to be, um, it was kind of a blue-collar city and had aspirations for better things.
0: Yeah, you know, you, uh, you want to be able to draw more businesses in, and so you can do that by having a good workplace for their workers, but you can also have that by having a good social outlet for management. And so from that aspect, wanting to create country clubs, and so whether it's Tampa Yacht or it's Pomasia or what other clubs that you could create at that time, having these social outlets for the business owners and the upper management was very important. Tampa was a growing city at that time, and so it, it needed these these social outlets for people to induce them to come here.
1: And it was trying to become a more refined... Yeah,
0: kind of, I guess, refine the city to... Um, to kind of go up kind of what the next notch might be in the social sphere of the South. And so there's a lot of old society that goes into the traditions of Gasparilla, having debutantes and having a king and a queen. Um, So you've got these connections to Mardi Gras with that having a, a court as it were, but also the introduction of young ladies into proper society through the debutante system. And that's something that's kind of an Old South system as well.
1: Did they still have the debutantes?
0: Yes, there are still debutantes. There's still coronation of a king and a queen. Many of the other crews have followed suit as well, not necessarily with the debutantes, but um, with having a coronation ball every year. There's, I know, Knights of St. Yago have a king and a queen, and Rough Riders, they don't call it that. They, they have a different name for it. Maybe Lieutenant Colonel, because that's what Teddy Roosevelt was. But they, they have this hierarchy that they have patterned after what you missed a crew did, which, again, is patterned after what came before them.
1: How important was it to belong to the right crew or to get yourself into this so that you could make the right connections for business or for your daughter's marriage or for any number of things?
0: You know, certainly as Tampa was growing in the 50s and 60s, there was a great desire among new businessmen in the area, particularly people who were new to the area because there's so much growth, population growth, to become a part of either you missed a crew or join Palmasia Country Club or Tampa Yacht and Country Club. So you can become established in society, but also in business circles. And then, yeah, for your family. So your, your children can maybe marry into kind of the existing social network and because tampa's business community was still relatively small back then you can look at people who were members of v mystic crew and see that they also were the head of the different banks that were in the area they were the head of tico they were the heads of these big businesses and so just by relation you can tell that they're the ones who were initiating and business deals and kind of getting things done so to speak but tampa is so big now there's so many national companies that are here that, you know, they they have a district manager or they have whatever they would have, and but the the real decision making is being done elsewhere, and so the influence I think that membership has to these organizations is a little lessened than it was before, because the city is just so much bigger now. It's there's there's too many moving parts.
1: Was it always so
0: rowdy? Um. Yeah. Yes and no. I think I, again. Mardi Gras, modern Mardi Gras has done a lot to make, I think, Gasparilla more rowdy. Because Mardi Gras got such a, a, a rowdy reputation, some of that was transplanted to, to Gasparilla. But it has become less so, I think, in the past few years. Again, talking about the people at home hearing this, those on Bayshore were probably yelling at me right now saying it's not changed at all. It's still pretty rough. Because um, you have hundreds of thousands of people descending on an area for an afternoon, a lot can happen. But I think we reached a bit of a low point a few years ago with underage drinking and things like that, that the city has done a lot to try and change.
1: When I think of Tampa in the early 1900s, I can't imagine that they were surprised by public drunkenness. (laughs) I mean, Um, the most prohibition, unfriendly town in the state. Yeah, that's
0: funny to say that. But um, it it wasn't like that because society was so much different Mm -hmm. in 1910 than it is in in 2019. Um, But there are some wonderful old photographs of Gasparilla, and you can clearly see the pirates are having a, a sip or two. Um, so so that aspect of it really hasn't changed, yeah. but it's just the, the crowds. There's the, the, the number of people is incomparable from 100 years ago uh, to today as far as Gasparilla because it's just there's so many more people. And so with more people, there's just more opportunities for bad behavior.
1: Thank you, Rodney.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Rodney Kite-Powell is a historian at the Tampa Bay History Center. And you can take a trip back in time on our website. We have a video of a Gasparilla parade from 1959. Just visit WUSFnews.org. Don Barnes is the executive officer for Ye Mystic Crew of Gasparilla.
2: And I've been doing Gasparilla for seven and a half years. This will be my eighth parade.
1: And how old are you, Don?
2: I am 56 years old.
1: Are you from Tampa? I'm not.
2: No, in fact, I, I grew up in an Air Force family. I was born in Ellsworth Air Force Base in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, moved with my family all over. I call New Orleans home because I moved there in 1975 and then joined the Air Force in 85. So, okay. you know, I'm retired Air Force, spent 26 years gallivanting around the world with the Air Force and ended up in Tampa, Florida.
1: Well, I gotta tell you, I mean, you missed it crew is a very tight group. How did you manage to break into that?
2: It, it was a kind of a, a funny story. The job came open when I was retiring from the Air Force, the job came open. I, I was in a, a command position at the base and we had what were called honorary commanders, which were citizens here in the Tampa local area who really didn't know what went on at McDill Air Force Base. And so we would bring them in and make them honorary commanders so that they could really see what was going on in the military and be partners. And several of them were also members of my organization, of the crew. And when they found out it was retiring, the job came open. And they said, Don, we understand you grew up in New Orleans and kind of know a little bit about Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I know about Mardi Gras, but I know about it from the street side. Um, and they said, well, how would you like to, do for a retirement job, uh, how would you like to run Mardi Gras for the city of Tampa? And that's how I did it.
1: How many in that crew, you mystic crew? How many pirates are in that crew? You know,
2: we are we're called mystic for a reason, so we don't give those numbers out. but what I can tell you is is that it's a shipload. Um, it is a large ship, and uh, it is f- a fully rigged pirate ship, one hundred and sixty eight feet long, and it is, Loaded with pirates.
1: Tell me about that ship because we had Rodney Kite Powell, who's the historian with the Tampa Bay History Center, talking about Gasparilla, and he was talking about the early boats and barges and things that they tried to use to do the invasion, and how a lot of times those might have livestock on them—chickens yep.
2: so t- or, or or hogs. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So
1: tell me about this and who owns it. Has everybody gone in on it?
2: You know, when we started the invasions 115 years ago, 1904, we actually didn't even use a ship. We came in on horseback the first year, right? um, and then we got our first owned ship in 1936. And in 1954, we actually raised money as a crew and uh, had built specifically the Jose Gasparilla II, which is the ship that we have now that you see down on Bayshore and that you'll see in the bay. Um, We took iron back in 1954 and had the shipyard just build it from scratch with our specifications. And because of how well she's maintained, uh, we have utilized that ship for the last 74 years, and we will end up probably getting another 74 to 100 years out of it if we want to.
1: Is there a cabin? Is there a bar? Uh, there is the, no cab. Well,
2: of course, the whole thing is a floating. Uh, basically, you know, we have beverages on bar. board, um, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's really a barge. It's is is all it is. There's mm-hmm. no engine. There are no engines. Um, is there a restroom? The, uh, yes, there. There's a restroom. There's a t- 2,000 gallon holding tank. Mm-hmm and it's a lot uh, of beer absolutely and a lot of (laughs) water and sodas we want to keep everybody hydrated we want everybody to be safe and be be very smart right and then there are stations of course all over the ship for us to fire cannon because we actually do have uh cannon that are on on board so that we make it as uh, as realistic a pirate ship as possible
1: so you're not really firing cannonballs
2: no goodness no <laughs> goodness no <laughs>
1: you're firing blanks. that's correct um you brought with you oh
2: pirate bling and you
1: brought us some bling absolutely you brought us this the, is our this latest is stuff beads stuff that you throw from the from the floats
2: from the floats and from uh-huh. the, not, not so much from the pirate Red ship and, and, gold and i will black. tell you we try not to throw things from the uh, the pirate ship uh-huh. because we try to be good Stewards of the community. We don't want to throw beads in the bay. We don't want to be polluting anything. These will be handed out or thrown along the uh, parade route. Right. Um, so that, you know, in the event that they fall in the, in the bushes or in, in the street, they can be very quickly cleaned up so that we're not uh, creating any type of an environmental challenge.
1: So, how much? I've heard that it's expensive to be a member of a crew. Um, how much actually does it cost?
2: You know, it varies by crew. Um, in For the
1: U Mystic crew.
2: Um, th- that's another one of those Mystic numbers that we, uh, we can't really talk about.
1: Is it, it, is I, it north of $5,000? I, I, I,
2: I couldn't so, comment okay. on it, but I can tell you that it is well worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is people just have so much fun and it's
1: what is the, what does it go to I'm building the float, which is expensive they're very elaborate costumes
2: correct oh, you know we are and most of the crews that well in fact all of the crews that you would see in the parade they're not for profits. Our money goes to building and maintaining a dozen or more floats that we have for the parade, maintaining that pirate ship and uh it it that pirate ship is towed by two depending on whether sometimes as many as three professional tugboats so there is a cost associated with all of right. that because we want to make sure that it's safe, smart, that that huge invasion fleet that comes in is safe and smart. And then all of the bike rack and the fencing and things for safety and security, a lot of the security that you see, we're paying for. So that's where the majority of our money goes um, for the Gasparilla events, both the children's parade and the, uh, and the parade of pirates the week after. Um in addition, you know, we do have some other parties and things that we throw throughout year the year. Round. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I mean we are a membership organization, and so we want to make sure that our members enjoy the benefits of being a member of our crew year-round.
1: So I'm going to tell you a story that I just heard from a very reliable source. I'm not naming any names, but this was back in the late fifties, early sixties, and there was a attorney from up north somewhere, I think Ohio. He was recruited by a Tampa law firm, one of the big ones. He came down to interview. While he was visiting, he talked to a very good friend of his who was in the other very big-name law firm, and his friend that lived here said, don't come down here. Don't take that job. You'll never be in the crew, because he wasn't from South Tampa. Right. He did come down. He didn't care. He'd never heard of Gasparilla. He didn't know anything about debutantes or any of that, but I found it so interesting that his friend from here said, don't do it. You'll never be in the crew. I'm,
2: I'm a little surprised at that. And, and the reason I say that is I can give you, you know, tons of examples of folks that are not from South Tampa mm-hmm. that not only have become crew members, but have become crew members who became captains and kings of Gasparilla. And I can give you an example of one from Arkansas uh, that, uh, that came down and back in the 90s was captain and then king of Gasparilla.
1: What was his position in the community?
2: He was a doctor. Um, You know, we don't talk about who our members are, but I can tell you we have a very diverse membership, and I I can also say that...
1: On your crew uh, itself, because they say now the crews themselves have gotten diverse. Oh, it's spectacular. There's about 70 crews. That's right. do you think the mystic crew of Gasparilla? Yes. The original.
2: Yep, the original. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're an all-male crew, um, Mm -hmm. but uh, but if you look at uh, our community, we have bankers, we have lawyers, we have... uh, you know, we we have folks. You know, David Straz was uh, king of Gasparilla, right? Uh, and uh, you know, he graduated from from Marquette.
1: He's um, running for mayor.
2: Um, so you you would be actually surprised, I think.
1: So this all changed in the 1990s, early 1990s, correct? Because there, that's when the big drama took place. Right. The, the Super Bowl was coming. Gasparilla organizers wanted to move it up closer to the Super Bowl. That's when all of a sudden there was national attention about the lack of diversity in Gasparilla right. and a lot of complaints about how exclusive it was, and that's when they opened it up to all these different crews that you were talking about, including the crew of Venus, which I guess is an all-woman crew.
2: That's true. Uh, well, and Crew of well, Venus not, might have been older. No, I think, yeah, crew of Venus was 1965, I believe, and then 73 was when crew of St. Yago joined us. They're another all-male crew. But Grace O'Malley was the first all-female crew that joined us. And so what you're going to find is is that... We've exploded from one crew that that basically put this event on from 1904 until 1965. Crew of Venus then joined us, then St. Iago. And now we're at the point where literally there are, there are 65 different crews. A, a lot of, you know, family-style crews, mixed crews as far as male, female, um, you know, cultural I think we have everything that you can possibly imagine. And if we don't, guess what? We'll find room for them. We really do. Because that's what we're really all about is while, while we're very, very proud of being the folks that started this event, what we're really equally proud of is we host the largest family-friendly alcoholic beverage-free parade in the United States, the largest and the only real children's parade, walking parade, are both of our, ours are walking parades, and in that parade, and in the uh, parade of pirates the week after, you have sixty-five organizations that really represent Central Florida and the city of Tampa, and they do it in an extremely positive way.
1: So, do you go on the you go on the ship then? No, Duh. ma'am.
2: I actually <laughs> don't. I am in a police car all day that day. Um, oh. I actually uh, my, my job is largely making sure that all of the complex chess pieces move at the right time. It's a very complex day when you think of you know starting with moving floats as early as five o'clock in the morning to get them along Bayshore for the parade that's going to start at 2. And then you have the pirate ship that's coming from the shipyard that's being towed across to Ballast Point, just adjacent to the Yacht Club, making sure that the Yacht Club is ready for pirates to get there and get their pirate makeup on. Um, There are a lot of media interviews that take place during that period of time at the Yacht Club. Then our pirates then have to quickly move to the pirate ship so that the pirate ship departs. Ballast Point by 11:30, so that it can sail within an hour and a half to the convention center with a mosquito fleet, as we call it, of anywhere up to 1,500 small boats that are surrounding this uh, large flotilla that's moving across the bay, and then making sure that they dock precisely at one o'clock in the afternoon, so that they can confront the mayor at one o'clock, so that the mayor confront can confront the mayor, so that the mayor right. hopefully. Can uh, give us the key to the city. Right. We can quickly move those pirates and the mayor down to the parade route so that they can start that parade exactly at 2 o'clock so that we can then get everybody completed, the, the, the parade over, the invasion over, everybody home safely early in the evening.
1: Huge logistics 100% uh, problem.
2: logistics driven. That's yeah. right. If you all remember the game Mousetrap, <laughs> Mousetrap was a game when I was growing up where you build this huge, complex mousetrap where balls have to roll into bathtubs and you turn this crank and all of these pieces have to work so that the the cage comes down and catches the mouse. I remember that. yeah. And I remember how complex it was and how you were always, when you turned that crank, hoping everything was going to work. And so for me, it's kind of exciting to put on an event that includes 65 to 70 other crews, 140 nine units this year, 114 of which are floats. Budweiser, Clydesdales, Grand Marshals, 1,500 vessels, 11,000 people inside the parade route actually out there handing out beads and interacting with a half a million people in a crowd. And when you can do that start to finish in one day and everything goes somewhat according to plan, Boats run on time. Parades run on time. News channels get what they need. It's a beautiful day and everybody has a great day. And most importantly, if at the end of the day, when I talked to the Tampa Police Department and the mayor's office, everybody got home safely. There weren't significant numbers of incidents. People had a fun day and we showcased the rich, diverse culture of Tampa. Yes. At the end of the day, I am just as happy as I could possibly be that we were able to pull off such an amazing event and that we're able to do it year after year without significant incidents.
1: Do you think Gasparilla's gotten too crazy, a little too rowdy?
2: Well, you know, I I know that there was a period of time prior to around 2010 where we had some significant challenges. And, you know, during that period of time, there were several hundred arrests that took place that day. Majority of them were underage drinking or, uh, you know, confrontation with the police or with, with folks in the crowd as a result of some pretty heavy alcohol incidents so we did some some pretty smart things you know we've we've gone to all of the schools and we've engaged in uh, responsibility matters respect is the key program they come out to usf they come out to university tampa they go to all the high schools they talk about the enforcement there's a police officer every 50 to 100 feet uniformed police officer along that parade route and they're watching we've taken away the ability for folks to bring huge coolers full of uh, fireball or alcohol things like that We have what are called charity beer gardens in eight locations, but those are are manned by volunteers are actually from charitable organizations here in the local community Um, and they sell beer and they sell wine, but they have a police officer, if not two police officers that are dedicated that are there. Um, And they are wristbanding people. They are checking every ID to make sure that people are 21. 21 is 21. Um, And as a result of some of those things, the police presence and the fact that we've restricted the amount of mixed drinks that you can just bring along the parade route, we've seen in the last several years that the arrests have gone down to less than a dozen. Um, And we've had very few incidents of underage drinking. Uh, We're very proud of that, and and as a result of that, I think we're less rowdy. I know we're a lot less rowdy than we were maybe back in 2010 and beyond. Um, We have neighborhood partnership meetings with South Tampa, which is really where the predominance of the parade and the invasion are, and we are trying to be good neighbors and address the concerns that they have in the local area. So we've seen... The benefits of all of those things, and we've made good inroads. That we are—we're not like Mardi Gras. We're fun. People are having a great time, but it's—it's it's much safer. It's much smarter, and people are getting home a lot better. So, not so a bacchanal, we're not right?
1: Don Barnes, you Mystic Crew is still mysterious. Hard as I tried, I don't think you <laughs> gave away any of the secrets. Um, so, and thank you for the beads.
2: It's my pleasure.
1: And thanks so much for coming in. All righty. And you'll find an old video of the 1959 Gasparilla Parade at WUSFnews.org. And Florida Matters is now available as a podcast. It's another great way to listen whenever it's convenient for you. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. Florida Matters is a production of WUSF Public Media. The producer is Stephanie Colombini. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.